Welcome to the first episode of Hug Your People. My name is Kevin Hoover, also known as Baxley's dad. Hug Your People came out of our struggle with cancer. And I'm gonna tell you the story of how we became a cancer family in 15 seconds. I'm gonna tell you all about Baxley and how we got here. And we're gonna just talk about love, life, and impact, getting to a place of happy. I hope you enjoy episode one. This is Hug Your People. It took about 15 seconds for cancer to not be a part of my family's life to being the number one part of my family's life, and that's not a big time of adjustment. Um, I'm walking from the Ronald McDonald House here in Charleston, South Carolina, to MUSC Children's Hospital, where my son and my wife and I are staying this week for chemotherapy. So if you hear noises that are in the background, um, that's part of the life here. This podcast is not designed to be perfect. It's not designed to be sterile. It's designed to be a uh, living, breathing thing. And this is part of life, that there are noises and sounds and things going on. So I want to tell Baxley's story because I think it's important to understand what families go through and what kids go through and how inspiring they are. So we... um, One Saturday, we were playing soccer and eating ice cream and doing all the things that kids do, that four-year-olds do, and young parents do. Well, I'm not young, but (laughs) new parents. Um, And then the next Saturday, we were in ICU with a tumor. And uh, that's not a lot of time to to, to go from thinking that cancer is not part of your world to it being the only part of your world. So on the Saturday that we were playing soccer and eating ice cream that night, Baxley, um, in the middle of the night, said he had a tummy ache. Not uncommon for kids, especially on the weekends when they ate a lot of junk food and things like that. And so we did all the, all the normal things you do. And then it got to the point, he's, he's a pretty, he's pretty tolerant of pain, but he's also not one to really complain unless it's, serious and my wife and I always err on the side of safety so if we have to ask a question around something we do the most that we can so that we don't take any chances so we went to the ER Um, they did a x-ray determined he was constipated prescribed all the usual meds that you would you would get from that and um, and sent us on our way and so we thought no, no big deal went home went to sleep the next day, still in pain, was still constipated, still had not gone to the restroom, so we kind of knew what it was. That night we went back to the ER, and um, much of the same thing, you know, still constipated, more scans. And that was Sunday, Sunday night. And then um, Monday we just tried to manage it. We were con- I felt like we were waiting for the poop (laughs) that's kind of what we were doing and um, that that would fix everything and we weren't really sure that there was anything else going on we didn't know you know we'd been to the ER twice and so Tuesday we went to our pediatrician and we ended up seeing someone that we hadn't seen before and it was not a great experience for my wife took my son and it was not a great experience for her she ended up getting a pretty significant lecture about diet and things like that and I get it um, 
knowing what we know now, it kind of rubs the wrong way, but that's okay. Um, more scans and then more prescriptions for things to kind of help the, the constipation along. And my wife didn't, she left that appointment and she told me, she said, I, I don't feel right. Something's off. I didn't like the experience. I didn't like the lecture I got. I didn't like the attitude. I didn't like the bedside manner. Um, she wasn't listening to me. This particular pediatrician didn't listen to my wife. And, and that mom instinct just kicked in. And I think she felt like something more could be done. And so she called the, pedi the, the office, the doctor's office where my son goes and said, I'd like a second opinion. So they scheduled him for <coughs> Thursday. And so uh, Saturday and Sunday we were in the ER. Tuesday we were in the uh, pediatrician's office. And this was now coming up on Thursday. And the Sunday in the ER they had done a kidney scan or a kidney work and determined that he was healthy. Kidneys were functioning just fine. Everything was as should be. So when um so we go we we get the the schedule on Thursday to go to get a second opinion at the pediatrician's office and we're going to see a new doctor. And my wife texts me from that appointment telling me how great it was. So we ended up seeing Dr. Behan and Dr. Behan turns out is a really good friend of my uncle who's a physical therapist in South Carolina. Um, he had just changed practices from a small town to, um, to where we live and that week in fact, so it was a new thing. Uh, we didn't know who he was, he didn't know who we were, <laughs> um, but he just had some incredibly strong ties to my family. And Dr. Behan, we found out after, he said that he was looking at Baxley and watching him play and he was kind of thinking that it was still constipation and that everything was going to be fine. All he needed to do was get a good poop out and that was going to be it. And um, he said, but there was this little tap on his shoulder that he couldn't quite shake. And that, that little tap... Um, for him, it, it was it was God. He's he's a strong Christian, and so he 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 tells a story that God was talking to him. I believe that same thing, and he said something was just saying, "Order a CT scan, order a CT scan," and so that was speaking loud enough that he ordered the CT scan, and we he sent us home because Baxley was playing and happy and everything and. Um, he ordered the CT scan for 7 a.m. the following day, so that would be the next Friday. And so we went home and um, had to get, wake up super early to, to take Baxley in for the CT scan the next day. So we get to, so that, that was that. We felt really good about his, him looking at, at everything that was going on and um, getting a good read on Baxley and getting a good read on everything that was happening. And one of the things that um, one of the things that he said later is that he wanted to make sure that nothing else was was really clicking. How you doing? And hold on a second.
One of the beautiful things about staying at Ronald McDonald House is you get to know people. So I just saw a friend of mine, Robert um, Ferraro. He and his wife, Amber, are here with their two-month-old um, Maddie. She's fighting out of, uh, she was a preemie, and she's fighting to gain weight and take a bottle, and she's doing great. And I just saw him, and um, they're going on a little date night. So I was really excited. I wanted to say hello to him, so I apologize. But back to the story. So Dr. Behan had ordered the CT scan for um, 7 a.m. the following Friday. So um, backtrack, not even a week before we were playing soccer and eating ice cream. And now this is Friday, um, 7 a.m. We go into the ER. We are we meet Dr. Armstrong, Dr. Kurt Armstrong there. Um, Dr. Behan was the first um, sort of saving grace that came into our life. Dr. Armstrong, um, the next day, just put the... Uh, he, ju- he just really made a believer in us in the, in the medicine, um, medical process and everything. So we get to the ER and Dr. Armstrong is kind of jumping into a, to something that he, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't know our past yet. And so um, he's looking at him and it becomes evident very quickly that he has a different opinion of what's happening. And so he proceeds with the CT scan. He immediately, this is my memory, immediate orders Um, a catheter and more blood work to be put in Um, calls me and my wife in and it wasn't too long after that that was the first time that we heard the word tumor and um, and kidney failure and cancer Um, he hadn't of course he didn't say cancer but that was those were things that were coming in our mind he did find with the CT scan he did find the tumor he found that the tumor was sitting on Baxley's bladder, which was preventing him from urinating or pooping. And because of that, he had gone into kidney failure or was about to. And as a parent, that's about the scariest thing that you can hear. Um, We thought Baxley was constipated and he just needed to poop. And what we found out was that Baxley had a tumor the size of a cantaloupe in his abdomen and it was creating blockage in his bladder which was creating his causing his kidneys to to fail it's tough to tell so um so Dr. Armstrong and his team of nurses uh, there at the ER um and and technicians and, and just everybody was so wonderful but it was in a matter of a couple hours that Baxley was on a helicopter to, uh, to MUSC. And that was, that was indeed a scary time. We, there was a point where we didn't think we were gonna be able to go with him in the helicopter. And I was just thinking the whole time, so I'm gonna put my four-year-old who's in kidney failure in a helicopter, fly him to a strange city to be around strange people, and we're gonna have to drive two hours to go meet him. And that just seemed very unreasonable and incredibly difficult. And so we went through the paces with the flight crew and. Everything. It turns out my wife was going to be able to fly with him, which was a big relief. So the plan then became, we'll put Suzanne, my wife, and Baxley on the helicopter with the pilots. And 
I would go home and pack us a bag and pick my sister-in-law, Laura, up and drive the two hours to meet them at the hospital. And so that, you know, that's as ideal as you can get. Um, ideally, we would have all been on the helicopter, but it doesn't work that way. So that was as ideal as I could get. And so we got, they got Baxley, Dr. Armstrong got Baxley stable enough to be able to fly. The catheter that he put in was able to drain his bladder and so that he felt immense relief on that. So he was, and of course there was medication. He was um, very comfortable when he got on the helicopter and he was pretty excited to ride a helicopter to be honest with his four-year-olds who don't know what words like tumor or failure um, truly mean. So he, um, they got on the helicopter and I, I went home to pack us a bag and it was still kind of like being, well, I'm not a, a physical kind of guy, but it's what I imagine being punched in the nose would feel like. Um, when I got home and walked through my front door and I saw all the little toys and the books and, you know, the kids stuff. I um, crumbled, involuntarily fell to my knees. Um, the, the kind of crying that is so deep that it's hard to breathe. The kind of tears that are just, don't seem like they're gonna end. And the, uh, the kind of hurt that you don't ever wanna feel that you want someone to take away and that you want to take it on yourself and remove it from this four-year-old little boy. And I sat there on the floor of my house not able to control anything. I couldn't control cancer. I couldn't control the tumor. I couldn't control the helicopter. I couldn't control what I had to do. The only thing I could do was cry. And that's what I did. Now, as a dad and as a parent, you know, there are things that you just have to pick yourself up and do. And one of the things I just had to pick myself up and do is I had to pick myself up, pack a bag, and drive two hours to meet my son. Uh, nothing I was going to do in that house was going to change the outcome. And man, that was hard. That was hard. So I um, went upstairs, and if you if you've ever had to pack a bag for your wife for a trip um, by yourself, without her guidance, without her knowing, it's stressful. When you add to the fact that her and your son are in a helicopter with kidney failure and a tumor, it's damn near impossible. <laughs> But I pulled together some stuff and put it in a, in a bag and went over to my sister-in-law's house and picked her up and off we went. Um, it was a long two hours. And this is where really, I guess the magic starts to happen or the, the I don't know if it's magic, I don't think it is, but the, the things that you need to happen start to happen. So. We get to the hospital and the first person we see is the pastor at my church. And uh, it turns out one of our associate pastors was at the same hospital having surgery on her wrist the same day in the same moment that 
my son's helicopter landed. So one of the first people that my wife and my son saw was the pastor at our church, um, Jeff Dunn. And that was, that was pretty remarkable that they were not airlifted under heavy duress and heavy stress, but they were put in to a position of being greeted with a familiar face. So that was pretty incredible. And at that point, my son was in ICU. They still didn't know anything. You know, they hadn't done any tests or anything. They just knew that his kidneys were not good and that if they didn't do something to drain his bladder and, and eliminate that, that we would have big problems. So he was in ICU when my sister-in-law, Laura, and I got there. And we still didn't have any answers and we didn't know how long and we didn't know anything that was going on. And I think the scariest part is arriving to a bunch of unknowns. And so up until, up until now, that's pretty much just story. There's really no time to process anything or think on a deep level about anything or understand what kind of dad or husband or man I, I am. Um, up until this point. So we get to ICU and really from the time that we, that I walked into ICU until today have been some of the biggest life lessons that I've ever encountered. Um, and it's not the kind of thing that I wish on anyone else, but things like this podcast exist so that I can maybe help someone else. Maybe someone else out there is going through something and, and maybe because I am a, a coach and I am super into personal development and I have studied those kind of things for a long long time maybe by sharing what I'm feeling and, and what I'm going through it'll help somebody else so that's that's really the, the the purpose behind hug your people the podcast um and it's also I think the purpose behind us being in this situation and, and going through the stuff that we're going through and I love that there's bus noise and breeze noise and everything else like that because this is kind of how Baxley would want it, I think. I really think he would. Um, and he'll listen to this one day and chuckle. So, so now that we're in, we're, we've got, we're in ICU with Bax and we're starting to figure things out a little bit. We still don't have any answers at this point. And, we stay in ICU a couple of days and really what we find is that the catheter was the, that decision was the difference maker between us being in a treatable situation and us being in a um, transplant or major surgery situation. So Dr. Armstrong at the ER that Friday really made some strong choices and he was in our life because of Dr. Behan. And that was, those two things are just remarkable when you think about how things play out and why people are in your life and why, you know, why people make decisions. It really is remarkable that that was kind of what went on. Um, so over the next five, four or five weeks, what we, what we found and what we learned was not easy. We learned that waiting is excruciating when you're talking about um, your child and you're talking about a disease like cancer and um, you can't, they couldn't diagnose him with cancer until they got all the results back. Um, even though that was the 
pretty certain hunch from everybody, from oncology to um, the urologist to, to you know, was the, that was pretty much everyone knew what was going on. Um, they just couldn't diagnose it yet because they had to make scientifically sure. So one of the first big lessons I learned that I had to deal with and had to face was that that hospital is, it's not a place of suffering, it's a place of healing. And initially I went into it thinking that it was a place of suffering and I got very depressed um, for, for a period of time there, walking the hall, seeing all the kids, thinking about how unfair it is and how hard it is and seeing parents who have it worse off than us and seeing parents who are, are winning and, and going home and the joy on their faces. And one of the things that I realized was that it's not a place of suffering. It's a place of healing. And then the second thing I realized is that healing has a lot of different looks to it. Healing doesn't always mean that everything is all better and fixed and everything goes away. Um, healing can mean that you, came, you come to terms with something. Healing can mean, sometimes healing can mean that somebody dies. That's tough. That's tough, but it's true. And I think looking at, looking at that part of this process and that part of this journey, I think that was the hardest, those were some of the hardest things to realize, um, is that healing has many, many different faces to it and that we don't decide what kind of healing we get. That's not our, our decision. We don't get to decide that. So we were in ICU a couple days and that was, that was pretty tough because you never want to see your kid in ICU. And um, we got all the tests done, all the scans done, everything done that we needed to get done. Um, Baxley stabilized enough to move to a lower level ICU um, and the pediatric halls. Um, and about a week went by before we sat down and had the, the cancer talk. And the doctors were incredibly gracious and gentle and patient. Um, and my wife and I, Suzanne, were, we were very emotional, obviously, because what we also realized was that our, our definition of cancer and the scientific variables and degrees of cancer are two different things. When I heard tumor and kidney failure and cancer, my initial reaction was, my son's going to die. And, and he could have. He could have. He could have. But we were blessed enough to have the right people in the right place. So um, after we had the talk with, with our doctors about treatment options, we felt really good about a long and, and aggressive treatment plan. And after lots and lots of tears and some fake laughs and things like that, we went, went ahead and committed to it and, and really no choice. We had to. You're not going to say we can't afford it and you're not going to say no. And I think that was another lesson I learned pretty quickly is that when it comes to stuff like this, you don't make choices based on money. You know, you can't. And trust me, when we got the bill for the helicopter ride, you know, it, it was it was a steep one, you know. It's, it's not every day you get a $56,000 bill and you're not sure how much insurance is going to cover and, or, or, you know, but you're not going to say no to that ride either. So that was, that was where we are. 
and as we look as I look back my wife and I look back and we think of all the choices we made one of the best things that the doctors told us was Baxley's not here because he didn't eat his broccoli Baxley's not here because he had chips for breakfast Baxley's not here because he had cookies he's not here because of anything we did this was going to be a part of Baxley's life no matter what we did as parents because you go through an incredible amount of guilt at first and blame and all you want to know is whose fault is this and how do we reverse it how do we make it go away how do we take it how do I take it from him and put it on me because I want it so he doesn't have to deal with it my wife said the same thing and the ways that we've decided to do that are by telling his story telling our story and sharing transparently with anybody who needs to listen and some people don't need to listen some people don't want to listen that's fine that is really good but there's some people out there that we've met and that we've learned that they just need a teammate they need someone in their corner that's what hug your people's all about you know it's not about telling our story so we can monetize it or sell a movie or a book because i don't think it's worthy of you know that my son certainly is and it it is a hard story but what we found is we've been working up to this point our entire relationship our entire marriage we've been working on being strong as a couple we've been working on communication we've been working on love we've been working on the way that we argue we've been working on um, everything and the reason we've been working on all of that is because we, we're going to be in this situation where those things can't be an issue. You know, those things can't be a challenge when you're trying to help your four-year-old son who has cancer and is fighting. And he's losing his hair and he's going to chemo treatments and he's having blood transfusions and things like that. One of the things you don't want to have to be doing at that point is working on your marriage (laughs) and so luckily my wife and I have the ability and the foresight to to get to a pretty good spot in our relationship before this was thrust into our life we're not perfect (laughs) we blame we argue we do all the stuff we just do it from a different place now and normally if we do argue it's pretty short-lived and I remember one day we were about to put, learn how to put the catheter in my son, and I had thrown a piece of pizza out. It had been sitting there for a while. That was my reasoning. So I threw a piece of pizza out, and my wife thought I should have kept it because it cost $2.35. And, <laughs> and I had the catheter in my hands, and, and I looked at her, and I said, we're going to talk about pizza right now. You know, my son's screaming. They're holding him down, and I've got a catheter in my hands. I've never used it. And she looked at me and started laughing. And she said, I know. <laughs> and so that, that's how, that's kind of the, that's kind of the place we are. And trust me, there have been numerous times where she's done the same to me. <laughs> the kind of look where we're going to talk about this here now. This is what we're going to talk about. <laughs> and so that's kind of funny. So that's kind of how, how we got here with Baxley. And where we are today is we're, um, we travel the two hours once a week for chemo. Um, we get the treatment and then we have, all summer long, we'll be spending in Jacksonville, Florida, for proton radiation. That's the only closest place for us to get it. Um, 
having some insurance challenges uh, with that. But again, we're going to do it. You don't make choices when it comes to someone's health based on money. Um, and then we have about a month and a half over the next 65 weeks where we will spend in the, the hospital here in Charleston. So we're not going to be home very much. And uh, my real estate business is, there will be no real estate this year. There can't be because we're just not going to be there. And that can't be my focus. I did, I, I'm keeping my coaching business going. It's going to be on an essential basis, um, meaning I have essential tasks that I do for that business and clients that I work with. And I'm still taking clients and things like that. But it won't be a, it's not a focus of growing that business big um, at this point. So our treatment plan was 67 weeks and we'll finish that up. And um, at the end of it, the hope is that Baxley goes on to live a normal little boy life. Um, that he goes to prom, that he, you know, has interests and hobbies and friends and play dates and goes back to playing soccer, which he loved. Um, that's our hope. Um, but there's a lot of variables in there that could determine otherwise. The good news is there's a really, really strong um, chance that we're going to see Baxley grow up. And that's all we wanted um, from the get. As parents, that's all you want. See your kids grow up and be happy and healthy and all the things that you want them to do and then something like this is thrown into your life and it's just the immediate question of is he going to die just takes over your day and so that's what we do our career is on hold you know our house is it's our house <laughs> you know so we will live there and we stopped worrying about things like screen time and we stopped worrying about things like he should be sleeping in his own bed and we're back to wearing diapers because um the chemo creates constipation, so he's on two laxatives, and he also we're still catheter using the catheter, so he can't control his urine. So it's a, it's a regression of of sorts, but at the same time, ones that we will gladly accept given the circumstances. So so that's the that's the story of Baxley and, and the Hoovers and where we are now. And um, of course, being Baxley's dad, I want nothing more. I would trade everything in my life and my life for him to not have to go through this but i don't get to decide that he has to go through this and we have to help him and that's what we're going to do there's no other choice there's no other discussion there's there's nothing to decide that's just how it's going to happen and i hope that baxley's story and that the personal agony and struggle and, and realization and awareness that we've been able to find will help someone and that someone will relate to it and that someone will think that the audio of this podcast is not perfect and laugh at it. I hope that happens because, listen, nothing about this is perfect. Nothing about this is perfect. Nothing about life is perfect. And if we spend all of our time trying to make it perfect we miss that little moment of it just being fun. And the whole point of Hug Your People is that little moment of it just being fun. That little moment where it was quirky, it was cute, it was hard, it was sad, it was angry. Acknowledging that little moment 
that you were there, you were present with the people you love, and you got the chance to hug your people. That's what this is about. And I hope you find some inspiration. I hope you find some joy. I hope you find some insight. I hope you can apply it to maybe your life or share it with someone who maybe can apply it to their life. But our, our journey's far from over. And these are going to come out sporadically whenever they come out. And I hope you'll share them. I hope you'll find some, some grace in them. I hope you'll give me grace in them as I figure out how to talk about this. And I figure out what to say. And I figure out who I'll be talking to. But for now, I'm just going to keep talking. Because I think someone out there needs to hear it. And if no one needs to hear it, it sure helps me verbalize my emotions and my feelings. So I think it was a good episode one. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Kevin Hoover, Baxley's dad. We'll try to get Suzanne on one time, but in the meantime, go hug your people.